Have you ever found yourself wondering about how artificial intelligence and faith intersect? My name is Elias Kruger. And I am Maggie Bender. And you are listening to the AI Theology Podcast, where faith and technology interact, taking you into an interesting and mind-challenging dialogue. Here we talked about how emerging technologies can align with the flourishing of all of life. Join us and expand your mind with topics like AI ethics, AI for good, guest interviews, and more. And our episode is AI and the future of work. And today we're going to bring you a tale of two workforces, one empowered and one shackled, both by elements of AI, machine learning, etc. So we're going to start with a story of empowerment. So what does that look like? Yes, Meg, I, I like the little literary uh, start there for those of you who picked it up, the tale of two cities. But it's a good way to frame it. I, I think there's definitely parallel stories and, and unfortunately that are kind of conflicting stories. So let's start with a good one, the, the story of empowerment. And I'm going to focus primarily on AI, but I'm also going to talk a little bit about you know, digital technologies. I think there's really been an augmentation, a process of augmentation for work for a lot of professionals. So I think I can speak from my, even my own experience. The field of data science was did not exist when I was starting my career 20 years ago, or even wasn't really a big thing 10 years ago. And suddenly now, because of the, the emergence of so much data, of algorithms, now suddenly you have this whole new job function that didn't exist before, right? And as you know, AI emerges, new needs happen. Uh, suddenly you need experts that will, will work with data that will not just analyze data, but we'll use statistical methods to bring insights from data. And I, I, I certainly have benefited from that and, and honestly made my job a lot more interesting. I, I can't imagine working without that type of coding and, and it would it would be very um, a very different type of, of work. And it's not just me, it's really affecting a lot of uh, different uh, functions. You know, the other, let's say, revolution in the workforce has really come to bear a lot with the COVID-19 pandemic when working from home really became the norm to, to a lot of companies. Now they're starting to shift away from that. But uh, in a recent survey, about 60% of people said that they, you know, if they could, they would like to work from home. We have grown now, um, you know, and what that did is really kind of maybe unglue us from that location of the office. And now suddenly work is part of your life, part of maybe too much part of your life, right? To a point where you can't quite turn off. So there's always that danger, but there's definitely a sense of, you know, augmentation there where we can have a discussion, people all over the world through Zoom and not even have a thought about it. It's just part of our reality. And therefore now we can work with people from all over the world in a way that we couldn't before. So there's definitely been, again, that sense of augmentation. As we look into the future, things are about to get even more interesting because when we think about the development of 5G uh, networks becoming common, you're now gonna have this ability to actually do things remotely. You know, So what do I mean by that? It means that a surgeon could literally remotely make a surgery from their home so they are you know in their home and you know in, in Iowa and and that robotic surgery 
is happening in India or, or vice versa, right? So we're going to have this ability not just to speak or see, we'll have the ability to manipulate things, to create things physically as 5G allows us more bandwidth and we can start doing some of these things. So definitely there's a bright future for further augmentation and the empowerment of the workforce. And and then another interesting example that, that just happened recently, you know, I, as, as you may be aware, I do try to write blogs uh, just about every week. And one part of that blog is 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 finding a picture for, for the blog uh, because, you know, a blog without a picture is nothing. And if the picture sucks, nobody reads your blog. And so uh, that was something that would take me uh, sometimes uh, a long time because I would have to find it and have to worry about copyrights and all of that. But now suddenly you have this AI tool that's creating new art, creating new pictures that you can literally type, hey, give me a picture of, a person walking on the beach, and then there he goes. It, it it's still not perfect, but you can definitely see where that's going. And now it saved me precious twenty minutes of trying to search for one. So to me, that's a perfect example of augmentation, where technology is really freeing me up from a uh, from a task that I am not good at, that I don't have good skills. It's giving me a solution, and then I can focus on again, writing that blog or focusing on the content uh, from a written perspective. So yeah, that's uh, that's the empowered story. Yeah, and I think that's great. And one of the things that I, I really liked about this example is that um, in addition to empowerment, and you think about people working at home, I feel like there's also an element of autonomy. So people feel like they have more control over their environment. Um, they can have all sorts of weird plants and art around them without worrying about what it looks like um, in an office or having that stuff housed in an office. And it's also increases accessibility. So like folks that have enduring health issues, being and working from the comfort of their home might make work actually possible for them. And even on that note, like the ability to, um, like this podcast, for example, is actually ha- the transcript is being generated by Otter AI. And what that allows to do is it opens up the podcast to people that might have hearing difficulties or are deaf. But all of these things like also open up things within the world that might not have been as accessible before. So I like the, the empowerment, the autonomy and the accessibility. Maggie, empowerment is great, but we know that's not the only story, right? So there's also another side, let's say a, a darker side to, to all of this, you know, automation, to all of this uh, infusion of technology into the workforce. So so let's talk about that second tale uh, of a, a workforce that's either being displaced or possibly micromanaged through technology. Yeah. So one of the first examples, and I see a lot of headlines on this, where AI has really kind of taken off in the workforce is folks that answer the telephone, whether it's telemarketers all the way through. I used to be a product specialist. Um, so essentially, I was shackled to my desk for eight hours a day, and I'd have to answer, you know, any one of 10,000 questions about um, software. But now the AI is coming out, and it will actually analyze what the representative is doing. Are they, <laughs> are they too tense? Are they speaking too quickly, you know, um, so now we have this person who might be in not the greatest situation with a, in communication with a client, some clients can be difficult, that is having another layer of somebody coming around and looking over their shoulder and like micromanaging them to death. It's like the ultimate micromanaging overload. Absolutely. Right. Because you have an AI boss, there's no empathy. There's simply rules and 
job, you know, a job to be done, goals to be met. Uh, so, some of you might have experienced that from human bosses, but uh, I bet you that that AI bosses would be even more inclined to do that. And you know, let's not forget our, our, our favorite company uh, that we love to hate, which is Amazon. So in, in a recent survey, uh, we learned that one in five Amazon workers are injured were injured in the job. Uh, especially doing the one-day shipping, uh, you might see this in your home when when they're coming. How you know you know they're. You can see that they're in a hurry. Uh, they're being timed, right? You know, think about uh, Uber drivers uh, and and Uber Eats, right? Those that are having to deliver food, having to optimize. They're given routes to optimize what they do, but they're also being tracked to a point where uh, I mean, we've seen horror stories and drivers that couldn't even stop for for you know, biological reasons. Uh, so, so this is the other side where AI is being used as a way to control. Well. It really does seem like we live in this crazy world of possibilities on one side. We have all this optimism, all of these great things that we could be in store for. But we also see some examples where things are just becoming down, downright painful for others. And I'm sure we could go on for examples forever. And for those of you listening out there, if you have your own examples, we would love to hear them. But now let's shift reflecting on the tale of these two cities and see what theology has to say to them. Yes, that's a, that's a, that's a great, great segue, uh, Maggie. And um, I want to start maybe with the empowerment side. I, there's so many themes here that come to me, you know, theologically. I think the first one is is the idea of, of creativity and creation. If we are to, to, to follow the path, uh, accept that, let's say we are uh, God's image, we are created by a creator, then creativity is is, is inherent part of being human, right? So in as much as technology can augment augment that, make things easy, allow us to focus on what is truly creative about us, our, our artistic side, uh, or, or even allow us to together solve problems, you know, dealing with complexity, then in some ways I can, I can see that alignment w- with creation, not just with the image of God, but also the idea of vocation. We, we have this sense that we are put on earth, on this earth for a purpose, that we are called uh, to do something. And, and, and I believe that especially at times enabled by these technologies, some workers may experience what we call being in the zone, which is when you're doing something you know you're doing well, you feel good while you're doing, and sure enough, it is a good result. Right? It's similar to probably the best example are athletes when they're in the zone and they made that wonderful play that everybody's you know spellbound and and you can see that they're having fun doing it uh obviously i'm not an athlete i don't uh do beautiful shots or or score goals but sometimes i do feel that about about the work that i'm doing that sense of satisfaction and um and i believe that that is those are the times when when vocation uh is coming to bear that there is that connection with purpose that what we do is not simply this grind, right? I feel like, especially with the Industrial Revolution, Industrial Revolution really was there to start making us look like machines so that we were just there to accomplish one specific task and, and go home and think about life later. But now we're living in a different time where people are like, no, I don't want to just be a cog. I want to create things. I want to do things. And thankfully, you know, technology has empowered us 
us to do that. So I definitely see a, a strong, you know, theological theme around, you know, vocation and creativity that is running through this, that is worthy of celebration, right? It is so easy to, to, to talk about the horrible things that technology is doing, social media is doing, how it's robbing us of all of these things. But, but let's, let's highlight the ways in which it's is making us more human, con- help, helping us connect with our humanity in ways that maybe we couldn't before or, or that we weren't really accustomed to do it. So definitely, I, I definitely see that piece uh, happening there. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to just pull on your thread a little bit about creation. Uh, so uh, Thomas Aquinas, his whole Summa Theologica, it starts from the doctrine of creation. A lot of times folks that are more on the Protestant scale, sometimes they have a different conception when it comes to creation. But for Catholics uh, in general and Thomas Aquinas, it's about like entire creation. So for him, humans are created by God, but as part of that, because they're God's creation, if we honor and respect our fellow humans, we're also honoring and respecting the creator through that. So if we keep this in mind, and then even if we take these negative examples and look at it through a different lens, okay, so Amazon and call center uh, representative, if we look at these two examples as if humans are the most important, then why not use the data to understand what puts a human in the zone and then make sure that situation in that environment is available to those call center representatives. So for example, instead of seeing if they're friendly enough, they should see how long uh, their time is on the call and to find the optimal calling, as well as how long that person needs to stay connected so that they can optimize the ability for somebody to be friendly uh, and helpful in light of that person's humanity. Likewise for Amazon. Okay, one out of five uh, employees are injured on the job. What is causing that? (laughs) And how do you prevent those? And then if you start from kind of from that situation, you can take something that even might be pernicious Mm -hmm. in its current form and flip the script on it. Yeah, absolutely. I love this idea of, of flipping the script, right? And and it has to do with, and that's why it is so important, I would say, to empower tech workers, and especially those writing code, to think through these things, right? To think about uh, the user, not just the user as a consumer, but as a human on the other side, right? And so that those guardrails are written in the code written and how those things are created you know unlike most people think a lot of the ai systems the machine learning systems that exist today they're rarely just all one machine learning algorithm that's running everything it is it is a mixture of human decisions business rules some algorithms and a lot of human input right so when we start seeing it as a partnership how can we bring in uh, technology, in this case, algorithms as a partner in making uh, you know, a more humane workplace? Uh, yeah, so I love the idea of the algorithm that would, would help you take breaks. Not only that, maybe the algorithm that will tell the customer to, to, to cool down so that they're not <laughs> yelling at the, at the poor, uh, you know, uh, phone representative who had to, to get yelled 10 times already in, 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 the, in the course of a day right? You know, no wonder I think uh, the attrition rates are so high because I mean, who, who can endure that that type of you know, verbal abuse um, in day in, day out, right? So those are the areas where uh, you know, if we start asking the right questions, I think we can definitely turn the corner and, and move forward that way. To tap on what you had said to uh, at the very beginning of the podcast, you had said about new jobs, because another thread that 
kind of pulls through this is that mm-hmm. a lot of times this technology is making folks obsolete. Mm-hmm. Um, and theologically, if humans are important and, and work and vocation and creativity are all a part of us, then um, I think part of the story also needs to be is understanding what new jobs are coming up. There used to be folks that created buggy whips at some point and at mm-hmm. some point that changed because we don't uh not every household has that anymore mm-hmm. so i think that's the other kind of component here is that there are a lot of new exciting jobs and it's about making sure that uh folks know what they are and making them accessible as well and meg i mean there's there's so much that we could could talk about here right but but maybe i'll i'll, I'll mention one thing i don't know if this is protestant ethic or what it is but we we live in a culture especially in north america where we're so tied up our identity is so tied up and and the job and the work that we do and i, I want to see that in two ways there is one way which yes the work that we do is called to a vocation to something more way beyond just the money that you make out of it but but the other of it is that i feel like we might have expected too much from work as well and make it a, almost a, a idolatrous relationship with it where everything it's really supposed to provide us with all this meaning and and so maybe the opportunity i mean let me put it this way even though it's hard the opportunity of obsolescence right of some jobs becoming obsolete is maybe helping people look away from you know that as the source of meaning to other things now yes they need a livelihood i, I don't and i don't mean to say let's uh, abandon them uh, and we need programs that will help them retool and find income but also i i think I, I love to be in a society where work is not just what you do for money but that you you, you work enough to, to to have your income but then you also have time to work on things from your heart right and and that are you don't necessarily getting paid and i think there is there is a pathway there and there's a lot of discussion about universal basic income is that the solution uh, again we, we could just go into so much. But, but but what I would say is maybe this upheaval is an opportunity for us to rethink about vocation, the connection of vocation with job, and even the connection of job and money. The, our meaning doesn't have to come by how much money that job that we do, even though it is part of it, that there might be other ways to, to find me. No, I, I love that. And what you were kind of talking about, like the obsolescence almost like forces somebody to go through the reflection of who am I? <laughs> what am I doing? And if you've ever chatted with folks that are about to retire, they're going through this as well, right? And it would be lovely if people would have those experiences earlier um, so that they don't get stuck somewhere and um, kind of have that that openness um, to something new, but also give them a chance to really make sure that what they're doing is vocation. Right. It, and, and it means that in some way, some shape or form, right, that they are doing something that's connected to their purpose. Now, that may not be what actually brings the bacon at home. Let's be honest. Not uh, you, you know, if that was the case, I would be blogging and doing podcasts uh, full-time, uh, but but that's not, not going to work for my family, right? But, uh, but, but the reality is, can we take a step back, right? Can we think, can we redefine retirement? I, I, I love that you brought that up. I, I, I think this idea, I think we need to, to start challenging this idea that, oh, I am going to do this when I retire and maybe start thinking more about, no, can I do this now? Can I start doing some of this now? I don't want to wait till I'm 65 or 70 or 75, depending on social security's resources. To start doing, living the life that I want to live. That might mean some adjustments. That might mean some decisions, you know, changes in, in, in financial situation. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very different conversation to have. 
Well, Maggie, we have covered a lot in this episode. I think we, we talked about you know, Theo two workforces, one that is empowered and one that is you know, shackled, uh, shackled and, and micromanaged. We talk about the role of technology in, in both, in some ways, uh, uh, how it can be oppressive, but also you know, empowering. And then we had a lovely discussion about you know, vocation and creativity and uh, you know, the theology of work, if you will. And there's so much more. So I, I hope that um, even though the episode is ending, that everybody listening knows that this conversation stays open. We would love to, you know, hear from you. And, and what we love most is that you continue to think about this as you go throughout your day, as you, you know, go back to, to the office or at home, that this stays an open conversation. Absolutely. And to help facilitate that ongoing conversation, don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast platform and also on Facebook and Instagram at AI Theology. Absolutely. See you next time. See you next time.